Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. It means to be a Christian, what it means to actually follow Jesus. And when Jesus was 30 years old, he began his public ministry. And the first thing that he did was he, was, he went out and he gathered up a group of guys that were willing to follow him and be trained, right? They were the very first disciples. And over and over in Scripture, Jesus would invite people to be his disciple. Listen to what Matthew 9, verse 9 says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. And Jesus is still offering that same offer to each of us today, right? Come and be my disciple. So what we're going to talk about this morning is back to the basics of being a disciple. What does it mean? What exactly is a disciple? The word disciple comes from, well, the Latin word discipulus and the Greek word methetus. And both of these words mean student or learner, or apprentice. And the word disciple is used, uh, I think it's used kind of in four different ways in the Bible. Here's some examples. Someone who is being trained up by a mentor or, or supervisor. In other words, like Moses, his disciple was Joshua. Elijah's disciple was Elisha. Paul's disciple was Timothy. The second way it's used is it we know it referred to the original 12 disciples of Jesus, right? Which we also call apostles. Thirdly, in the book of Acts, it was used as a synonym for the word Christian. They were interchangeable. Because it wasn't until the church had been in existence for several years uh, before people were actually referred to as Christians. For many of the first few years of the church, they were simply referred to as disciples, and fourthly, there's Jesus' definition of this word, disciple. And that's what I want us to really look at this morning. Jesus would often take a common word uh, like student or disciple, and he just had a way of injecting some more depth into a particular word. And several times throughout uh, the ministry of Jesus, you know, he'd say things like, well, if you'll do this, uh, then you're my disciple. Or if you do this, you, you can follow me, that sort of thing. So I want us to begin this morning by making sure that we really know what it means to be a disciple. I want us to look at six steps of being a real disciple. And the first step is this. To be a disciple, I must spend time with Jesus. That's kind of a no-brainer, don't you think? If you are being a student or willing to be mentored by someone that's going to involve time spent with them, right? You know, and just like any other relationship, the more time you spend on it, the more you get out of it. And so I will say this this morning, there is no such thing as a part-time disciple. No such thing. You can't be a disciple on Sunday and Wednesday night. You have, there's no such thing as, you don't fit discipleship into your schedule. You know, it's like if you were starting a new job and you had to be trained. You don't fit the trainer into your schedule, right? 
You don't say, well, listen, I've got some time on Wednesday afternoon, maybe a couple hours Friday morning, you can, you know, teach me this thing and then I'll start. No. If you really want the job, you fit the training into their schedule, right? You fit yourself into their schedule. Now, here's another thing that Jesus said in John 12, the 26th verse. He said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now that, just that one little verse, we're going to kind of unpack that for a minute, because just that one verse teaches us three things about discipleship and about spiritual growth. Uh, one thing that we learned here is that spiritual growth, which is a part of, that's being a disciple, we're growing, we're learning. Spiritual growth is a choice. It's a choice. God never forces himself on anyone. He leaves that completely up to you, doesn't he? He says in this verse, he said, if you want to be my disciple. Those two key words there are if and want. If you want to be a disciple, then you have to make a choice to grow. Spiritual growth is never automatic. It has to be intentional. You have to, we all, we have to choose to grow, right? How many of you have been around planet Earth long enough, been around the humans long enough to have figured out that everybody grows old, but not everybody grows up? My wife has told me that on occasion. I'm telling you, there's a lot of 40, 50, 60-year-old adolescents running around out there, right? Growing old is automatic. Growing up is a choice, right? It's the same in our Christian life. So right now, right at this moment, each and every one of you are, are as close to God as you have chosen to be. Now that's something, there's a sermon right there but I'm just going to keep going on. <laughs> Every one of you, no excuses. You are all just as close to God right now as you have chosen to be. You can't blame anybody. I'd like to be closer to God, but if it wasn't for that wife of mine or my husband or my kids, kids is a pretty good excuse, but still it's not going to fly. <laughs> Ultimately, even that one won't fly. <laughs> You're getting close. We can't blame anybody else because the truth is that if we're not close to God, it's because that's the choice we've made. I've heard people say, man, I just, I feel so far from God. And the truth is, well, maybe they are far from God. But the question I always want to ask is, well, let me ask you this. Take a guess who moved. And I'm going to give you one hint. It wasn't God. So that narrows the choice down a little bit, right? Spiritual growth is a choice. Okay, secondly, this verse, just this short, one short verse, it tells us that spiritual growth is always a commitment. He says, you have to come and follow me. That's commitment, right? If you really want to grow, you can't just sit around, wait for it to happen. You have to, man, you got to get it in gear, so to speak, and you have to take action in order for growth to happen in your life. And when you think about it, 
that is true of every area of our life, right? We grow in life by committing to certain things. A successful marriage causes you to grow up, right? And I said successful because there's one out of two marriages end in divorce because somebody doesn't choose to grow up. That's, if you want to boil it all down, that's it. Having kids, that's a commitment that makes you grow, right? You either grow or it kills you, one of the two. Hopefully you grow. Taking on a new job commitment is, is growth in your life. In fact, if you don't make commitments in life, you are going to stay in perpetual immaturity because you don't commit to anything. No commitment means no maturity. And it is, think about this for a minute, it is the things that you commit your life, that, that you commit to in life that really define your life. You are the sum total of the things you're committed to. Think about that for a minute. One of the big problems we have today is that people, some people try to commit to everything. You can't commit to everything. You shouldn't be committed to everything because not everything is worth being committed to, right? And that's where we get ourselves in trouble, committing to things in life that really weren't worth committing to. And all of a sudden, we're so, you know, we're so pulled in every direction, we're really not doing a good job at anything. That's a huge problem that people have today. One, one good reason you can't be committed to everything is that if you're committed to everything, then you're really not committed to anything. A lot of things to ponder this morning. Wise selection is the name of the game in our life, right? Being wise in the things we choose. And here's the third thing that this one verse teaches us about spiritual growth. It teaches us that it's a relationship. Spiritual growth involves relationship. It's not about a bunch of rules or rituals or some secret formula. It's all about being with Jesus. Did you notice what Jesus said in this verse about proximity? He said, my servants must be where I am. He's talking about proximity here. Spiritual growth is about being with him, about relationships. So how do we do that since Jesus is not physically here on earth? Someone might say, well, you know, how am I supposed to be close to Jesus? How can you be with him? One way is to talk to him every day. That's the key to almost all of our relationships, right? Is communicating. Some of us guys, some guys do better than others at communicating. Most of us are not great communicators when it comes to close relationships. But it's not an excuse. We just have, we have to work on that, right? You know, us guys, we can talk about baseball or football. Man, we know all the stats. But when it comes time to speaking with our wives, you know, on a more intimate level, it's we don't know what to talk about. But our relationship with Jesus is, again, a very intimate relationship. We have to learn to be able to talk and communicate. We have to be where he is. And that we do that by staying in communication. Keep a running conversation with Jesus throughout your day. When you're driving, spend some time with him. Cleaning around the house, cleaning out the garage, doing dishes, mowing the grass, spend time with him. When you're just sitting alone, 
I've heard people say, I am so busy, I don't get a chance to sit alone ever. And I'm thinking, now look, I don't want to get too graphic here, but everybody sits alone. <laughs> if you don't, that's kind of weird. <laughs> There's time. I'll just move on here, but I'm just saying, don't give me that one. I never get to sit alone. Come on. Just spend some time talking with him and then give the Lord room to talk back to you. Because sometimes the problem is we do all the talking and we don't do any of the listening. It's good for us to talk to God, but the truth is we're not telling him anything he doesn't already know. But when he speaks to us, it's the exact opposite. This is information we really need to have. So we spend time talking and then make sure we spend some time listening. When? Every day. Read his word. Then let him speak. So let's, moving on with our, our six steps to being a disciple. First one, spending time with Jesus. Step two is, to be a disciple, I must love Jesus supremely. The key word there is what? Supremely. Luke 14, 26. Jesus explains how much we have to love him. I like this in the contemporary English version. Very black and white. It says, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than you love your father, mother, your wife, and children, and your brothers and sisters. That's a pretty strong, bold statement, isn't it? You cannot come with me unless you love me more than you love your own life. Well, boy, that pretty much nails it down. The level of love. He's saying, he's saying that our love for him has to make our love for everything else that is near and dear to us pale in comparison. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to love everyone else, right? In fact, the more we love God, the more we will show love to people around us. You know, I don't want to hear someone say, oh, I love God completely. Not so crazy about these people. Because that doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't fit the word of God. The more we love God, the more love we'll show to others. Right? So, Jesus, he's saying that our love for him has to be absolutely supreme. Because let's face it, without God, you wouldn't have other people to love on. You wouldn't have your family. You wouldn't have your friends, were it not for God creating them as he created you. So first and foremost, we love the creator, right? There's a great word for this state of being that describes loving God more than anything else. That word is worship. Whatever you love the most in life is what you worship. There's no getting around it. You may not want to admit it, but it doesn't change the truth. The thing you love the most in life, that's what you worship. So spiritual growth is really measured by how much you love. Not by how much you know, not by your skill level, not even by how much you attend church. It's all measured by how much you love. Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells us 
the most important commandment that we have is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That pretty much covers it, right? Worship is whatever we give our best love to. That's it. And when you worship, you don't care what other people think. If you're a real Spurs fan and you're in a group of Laker fans, you're not ashamed to say, well, you guys might like the Laker. You can have LeBron and everybody, but I'm a Spurs fan. Well, that's the same in our that's the same in our Christian journey. If you're around a bunch of unbelievers, you're not going to be ashamed to say, well, you know, you guys may not believe, but as for me and my house, we believe. And if we're not willing to do that, we're not real disciples, are we? We're not fully worshiping the way, you know, we should be. You won't be embarrassed to pray over your meal at a restaurant. You won't be afraid to raise your hands in worship. You won't be embarrassed to tell others that you're a believer if you're really worshiping God. So that's step two, worship Jesus. Here's step three in being a disciple. To be a real disciple, I must love others Disciples are not. And this is where it starts to get tough, right? You know, it's so easy to love God or godly people because they love us back. God is perfect, but we're not, right? I'm not, you're not. We can all be irritating and obnoxious sometimes. That's the truth. It is so. I heard that. Someone said, say it ain't so. Well, sorry, it is, it, it is, it is so, so. <laughs> we can all be irritating and obnoxious because we are humans. A lot of the humans are irritating and obnoxious. If we don't have Jesus in our heart and we're not showing love, then we're usually irritating and obnoxious, right? Because we all get self-centered and life becomes about us. And that is annoying and obnoxious to everyone around us. So that's another sermon too. We'll just keep moving on. So Jesus says that if you're going to be one of his disciples, he says, you can't just love me. You've got to love everybody else also. And that's just tough. The benchmark of being a Christian is not the little fish sticker that we've got on the car or the, on our lapel pin, you know, Jesus, he, did he say, and you, they will know you're my people by your little fish stickers. <laughs> no, that's not what he said. He said, they'll know you are Christians by your, by your love. So we can't just love Jesus. We've got to love each other as well. We've got to love everybody in the church and out of the church, but man, especially within the church, right? I mean, if you say that you love Jesus, but you don't love the church, then you're not a disciple. Because even with all of its imperfections, its flaws and failures made by all of us imperfect people, Christ loved the church so much, he died for it. He died for everybody. And you need to learn to love the church because it's the only thing that's going to last on planet earth. Microsoft isn't going to last. Can you believe that? Apple is not going to last. You'll never convince those Appleoids of that, though. I mean, I mean, Apple, not going to last. The Democratic and Republican parties are not going to last. 
That's not nearly so hard to believe, right? That one we can understand. Even the United States of America, people, is not going to last. The only thing that's going to last forever is the family of God. That's it. So because of that, we need to learn to love each other, right? And there's a word for that, fellowship. That's the word for loving each other. We fellowship with each other. Spiritual growth is a lot more likely to happen in community than it is in isolation. You can't be a disciple if your attitude is, uh, you know, it's me and Jesus and nobody else. Some people kind of live their life like that. You say, hey man, uh, they'll say, I'm a Christian. They'll say, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. I, I, uh, I watch this guy on TV. That's isolationism. There's a good chance a lot of serious, mature growth is not going to take place in a relationship like that. So we, we have to love each other. We have to have concern and compassion, compassion for each other. 1 John 4.20 says this, If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. Well, once again, he's not pulling a lot of punches here, right? He's not saying that, then that person is, is, is untruthful sometimes. No, he's saying a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? A lot of truth in that. All truth. This loving others part is really what makes being a disciple of Jesus different than just so many religions in the world today. Because in all, so many of these religions around the world, whether it's, uh, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever it is, in those religions, a lot of times, the more you're able to isolate yourself from the world, the more holier you're considered to be. You know, the holiest people in their eyes are, are the ones who go off, you know, into some Himalayan mountain uh, monastery or live in a cave in, in some remote area. They never, they take a vow of silence. They don't speak to anybody. They isolate themselves, completely separate themselves from humanity so that they won't be corrupted by all of us who are corrupted with evil. That's their thinking. You know, there's a guy, he decided he was going to go off into some Himalayan monastery, become a monk. And so he, he goes and he talks to the head monk. He says, yeah, I, I want to be one of you guys. The head monk, he said, well, now listen, here's the deal. You have to take a, a vow of silence, an oath of silence. You can't speak to anyone. He says, once a year, you'll be allowed to come into this office and speak three words to me. Are you willing to do that? He says, man, I'm in. So one year goes by. The guy doesn't say a word. Year goes by, comes into the head monk. He says, okay, you get three words. The guy says, food, no good. <laughs> and he goes back to his little hole, wherever he goes. Another year goes by. He goes into the head monk. He says, you have three words. The guy says, bed is uncomfortable. And off he goes. Third year. Third year goes by. He comes in. He got three words. He says to the head monk, he says, I'm going home. The head monk said, well, you might as well. All you've done is complain ever since you've been here. <laughs> I 
keep in mind, nobody paid to get in here. So, you know, <laughs> if you don't like the material, you know, it didn't cost you a lot. But that's how, these, that's how so many of these religions in the world function. The more you separate yourself from people, the more holier you supposedly are, when that is the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. It's the exact opposite. Jesus was always around people. I mean, people were his business, right? And are his business. He's all about radical fellowship and relationship. So... This is another great reason, you know, right now on Wednesday nights we have our summer U classes, but 1st of September, life groups begin, and I'm telling you, if you're not a part of a life group, you should be a part of a life group, because that's a, it is so essential to spiritual growth, having the community and the fellowship with like believers. It really helps you grow. You get to know people, you get to show love to them, and vice versa. They get to know you and show you love. Okay, step four in being a disciple. If I want to be a disciple, then I have to do what Jesus tells me. And of course, we're all very good at that, right? None of us have ever done something against what we felt Jesus was telling us to do, surely to goodness, right? Now, we, or, or, or have we all done that? Chances are good we've all done that. We've all done things we know we shouldn't do. But the real benchmark of a disciple is, is right there, always doing what the teacher tells us to do. You know, it, it may not make sense to you. It may not even be the popular thing to do. And it might even cost you something to do it. But it's always going to be the right thing to do. If God says it, it's always the right thing. And we have to have faith in that. John 8, 31 and 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom is found in truth. Nothing causes us to feel more bound up in life than when we got a pack of lies sitting over our head and I mean, it weighs you down, doesn't it? When you are completely truthful and honest with people, I mean, it is just freedom and honest with God. Sometimes we try to be dishonest with God, which is like the dumbest thing in the world because he already knows. You know, it's kind of like arguing when you were a little kid and your parent would ask you a question and they know the answer, but you don't know they know the answer. That's kind of the difference between being a kid and an adult. We figure this out in life. Oh, wait a minute. He's asking me a question. I'll bet he already knows the answer. But when we're a kid, we're just stupid. You know, Billy, did you break that jar when I told you not to mess with it? No. When, in fact, they actually saw us do it, you know. That's kind of how it is with our relationship with God. Sometimes we try to be dishonest with God, and it's so ridiculous because there is no fooling God. So if we want to feel freedom in our life, Let's just be truthful. Now, spiritual growth is always going to be this ongoing process. We never fully arrive, right? We always have to abide in God's Word. In other words, we always have to keep doing what He's telling us we should do. There are untold numbers of people who say they believe in Jesus. Obviously, these polls are telling us that. 
who say they believe in Jesus, they believe in the Bible, but we have to remember that Jesus says that we're only a disciple if we obey it. How many of you are, there are rules that you know what the rules are, but you purposefully don't obey? Sign on the highway says 70. How many of you sometimes purposely disobey that? How many of you sometimes pay the consequences of not obeying that? Yeah. There's, we're free to make choices, but as we said last week, we are not free from the consequences of those choices, right? You can make whatever choice you want, but don't think you're going to skip out on the consequences. That's always automatic. You know, do you believe you should forgive people who hurt you? Yes. Do you always do it? No. Probably not. Then we're not fully believing. Do you believe you should always return good for evil? Yes, we believe that. It says so in the Bible. Do we always do it? No. Sometimes when somebody says, hey man, you're a big fat jerk, we don't respond by, well, bless you, my brother. <laughs> Thank you for that word. It's probably not how we respond all the time. You believe you should tithe? Yes. Always do it? Mm, I don't know. I threw that in for free. Aren't you glad I, I, I just tossed that in for free? Do you believe you should share your faith? Why? Because the Bible says so. Because Jesus tells us to, right? Do we always do it? No, we don't. We're not fully believing. Spiritual growth is measured by obedience. Now think about that. If you think you're really, boy, you are really growing mature beyond most people, stop and measure your level of obedience. And if it's there, great. You're growing, you're maturing. But spiritual growth is measured by obedience. Obedience becomes a part of our life when we develop good habits in our life. Did you follow that? Obedience becomes a part of our life when we commit to developing good habits in, in life. In the Christian life, we are also the sum of our habits. Also, coincides with we are, you know, we are the sum of our commitments. We are the sum of our habits also, right? Our character is built on our habits. Does that make sense? Here's a good, for instance... You do not have the character of honesty unless you ha have the habit of telling the truth all the time. Amen? Can we agree with that? What if you come across somebody that tells the truth 99% of the time? That sounds not too bad, right? Well, I mean, you know, it's slip once in a while, but they tell the truth 99% of the time. If you tell the truth 99% of the time, you are not an honest person. Now here's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to break this down a little bit. If you speak the truth 99% of the time, which on the surface doesn't sound too bad, right? But listen to this. That means one out of every 100 sentences that comes out of your mouth is a lie. Isn't that what 99% means? 
one out of 100. So the average person, now I'm averaging men and women here. So women are kind of raising the average, but we're just going to go with the... (laughs) The average person speaks about 8,000 words a day. There are approximately 15 words in an average sentence. If you don't believe this, go online. That's how I got it. I Googled this information. That means the average, the average person speaks about 500 sentences a day, which means if one out of 100 is not the truth, the average person or someone who claims to speak the truth 99% of the time lies five times a day. Are you going to put your faith in somebody that lies five times a day? No. So 99% of the time is really not that impressive, is it? Here's another example. Men, if you go home today and you say to your wife, Honey, I want, I want, I want to talk to you. I want you, to, I want you to know that I want to have the character of faithfulness in our marriage. And, and I just want you to know that even though most months have 31 days, I want to pledge to you that I am going to be completely and totally faithful to you a minimum of 30 of those 31 days. How do you think that would go over? (laughs) You think she'd be impressed? Let me say this. If that would impress her, we really need to talk a, a, a little bit more. You know, there's another word. There's another word for partial faithfulness. You know what that word is? Unfaithfulness. That's the word. If we're not faithful 100% of the time, then we are unfaithful people. And granted, we have all been unfaithful. Doesn't mean we're doomed to hell. It means we absolutely must know where to turn to for forgiveness. And we must strive in our effort to be a better disciple. That's what that means. And that's true in every area of our life. Our jobs, our marriages, our finances, our friendships. We have to be faithful all the time. And it's all about developing godly habits in our life. So step five, we're winding down here. We're doing good. Step five, to be a disciple, I must serve others unselfishly. This gets a little sticky too. Because our human nature is, man, we love being served. Right? Oh, we love to be served. But serving is is an integral part of spiritual growth. God tells us that being a Christian is more about giving than it is receiving, right? We all know this verse. It tells us if we want to be an important person in the kingdom of God, then we've got to take a back seat and be servant to others around us. Putting others before yourself and serving them, today that is about the most counter-cultural thing you can do, right? It's just people sit there and scratch their head and then they think, man, what is your deal? You're putting others before yourself? It sticks out like a sore thumb and it's a great witness. Serving others. God's values are always the exact, exact opposite of the world's values. The world's value says, look, it's all about you, man. It is all about you. You know, you need to have it your way. We, we do it all for you. You deserve a break today. You've got to look out for number one. That's what the world tells us, right? You are the most important person in your life. That is the world's value. 
But I tell you, that is, the, that is a great way to be miserable in life. The world's value system tells us uh, to get everybody we can to serve us. But Jesus always says that leadership is not about how many people serve you, but rather it's about how many people you serve. The best leaders in the world are people who are helping and guiding other people, not just using people to serve themselves. And so the world says live for yourself. God says you need to give your life away. There's a huge difference there, right? Now, here's why giving your life away is so incredibly important. Because everybody is very busy trying to find happiness today. That's the goal of uh, almost everyone you run into. They're, they're, they're trying to be happy. And the key to finding happiness is to find significance in life. You have to know that going into this. Happiness never lasts unless you find real significance in life. And everybody wants their life to be significant. The problem is that most people are looking in all the wrong places for significance. It's going to be some success, worldly success doesn't bring or give you significance because there's always going to be someone who's a little more successful than you. Money isn't the answer. Money will make your life easier at times. It can also make your life a lot more difficult. Money can remove some worries for a while. It can make you more comfortable for a while. But money will never give us significance. The logos on our car and on our shirts, that doesn't give our life significance. And here's why none of that stuff works. It's because God created the universe in such a way that the only way our life can ever take on significance is when we give it away. That's the only thing that brings significance because God wants us to be like Him. He wants us to be unselfish. We are to be Christ-like, and being Christ-like is what gives us significance. The most miserable people in the world are selfish, self-centered people. They are the most, and just, I mean, I, yeah, what's the word? They're, you know, they're just miserable because there's never enough. As soon as they attain this much, then the bar gets raised a little bit because the significance wears off pretty fast in this world, doesn't it? Worldly significance. It, it, it's real shiny until you got it, and then it looks a little more dull, and now you want the shiny stuff again. So the happiest people in the world are those who give their lives away. They serve and help others, and our supreme model in all of this is Jesus himself, right? He said, Jesus said, For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. So being more Christ-like, being a true disciple, is more about giving out than it is about taking in. And that attitude defines the Christian life. The more you learn to serve and give, the more significant and happier you feel. And I'll, I'll throw this in for free this morning. Spiritual growth and true discipleship are always going to require one thing, sacrifice. That's become another dirty world, uh, dirty word in the world today. Nobody wants to sacrifice. We want to get. We don't want to sacrifice. But true discipleship and spiritual growth will always require sacrifice because Christianity is all about love, right? And the very essence and foundation of love is giving. Giving is a sacrifice. 
when you give something away that you don't have to give away, that is sacrifice. And that's what the whole Christian lifestyle is about. If you've never been willing to sacrifice for someone else, then I, could, I promise you, you do not have a full understanding of real deep levels of love. All you've been doing in your life is kind of wallowing in very shallow levels of love if you're not sacrificing for other people. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, Then Jesus took up his disciples. If anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You've heard that verse, right? There's two types of sacrifice defined in this verse. The first one, he says, he must deny himself. So that means we're going to say, God, I'm putting my agenda on the shelf, and I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to go with your plan. That's the first one. The second uh, sacrifice defined here is where he says, take up your cross. Now that means we've got to be willing to do what's right. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.